everyone, and welcome back to episode two of In My Humble Opinion, the Daily Nebraskans Opinion Podcast. Today we're here to unfortunately talk to you again a little bit more about COVID. We all hope this is the last time, and I'm sure you do too, but... Please let it end. <laughs> Please, dear God. There are just some things that we feel like need to be addressed, especially with how the university and students are dealing with COVID. So, yeah. If you don't remember, I'm Sydney Miller, I'm the Senior Opinion Editor, and my favorite ice cream flavor is peanut butter fudge, which shocked some people last time. I'm Nick Fiden, I am an opinion writer, and my favorite ice cream flavor is mint chocolate chip. Yeah, I'm Brian Beach, I am another opinion writer, my favorite ice cream flavor, at least today, would be <laughs> strawberry cheesecake. I'm Emma Crab. I am the last opinion writer to be mentioned today. <laughs> um, and I'm a big sherbet person. Big sherbet person. Any kind. Any kind of sherbet. I think sherbet is really good for the weather we're having. Right. Agreed. Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've got that out of the way, COVID in the classroom. As you guys probably know, there are a lot of changes that the university has made to regular life, quote unquote, and how we're dealing with that. And since I wasn't here last semester, I was at home doing online classes. So I didn't really get to experience the joys of the Safer Community app last semester. And I have some thoughts about the way that it's being implemented, particularly how we're getting into classrooms. One thing that I've noticed in particular is that even if there's only one or two entrances and everything else is locked as a way to herd people into getting their app checked, first of all, people can sneak in other doors. This is just a given. But also it just creates a cluster of people in the hallway. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, several times I have been in a crowd of people all furiously swiping <laughs> through their phones trying to pull up the community app. And, like, it's not a very fast app. It takes a while to load. Especially when the campus Wi-Fi is not yes. the best. Yeah, so you're just waiting in there and then you have to show it to them and mm -hmm. then you get to go. And, in, and I think, I mean, you could say that that's the best that they could do, but on the other hand, I've only had three buildings where I regularly actually have to show my card. A lot of the buildings I go into are just... There's just a little table that says, please don't come in here if you're not safe. Especially later in the day, I've noticed, there's just sometimes no one there. Yeah. I say usually there's no one there. And even when there is someone there, I, I really would love to know the statistics on how many people they've turned away because they had an X on their Safer Community app. Because I just know a lot of people that maybe even would have an X on their Safer Community app or they forgot to schedule a test. Well, they know they can go in the back door or they've screenshotted something from before and I know the different colors are supposed to mean things but I just really in all my time here have never seen anyone turned away I saw one guy alternatively they could just like not go yeah because one time I was going up to the dining hall at Cather and I showed my app and she was like you need to refresh your app like she she knew what the colors meant oh, the, the one lady at Cather she knows she what's knows up. what's up someone showed her a screenshot from yeah her, she was like don't ever show me a screenshot yeah she good for her mm -hmm. good for her but then I just kind of refreshed and she's like oh yeah you're good hon I was like awesome yeah. but, but, but you just don't see that same passion from the minimum wage student yeah, workers exactly. on and the, campus right. and I, I don't blame them for that because yes. who wants to spend their Thursday afternoon arguing over a safer community app probably nobody absolutely no incentive for them to be passionate about that at all yeah they do get paid ten dollars an hour at least that's what the listing is on handshake last time I checked so if anyone's looking for an on-campus job where you don't actually it seems have to do a lot or if you guys are really passionate about the safety of our community you should look into that so beyond that, 
the fact that there's only a couple openings. I mean, you can sneak in the back doors, but I've found the times that I've personally tried, not that I want to circumvent the system. I have been vaccinated, and so I'm always allowed access, but sometimes it's really hot, or I've like walked a half mile across campus to get to my class. And so for the first few days of classes, I was trying to get in entrances that weren't open. I've just been thinking about how this affects like people with disabilities on campus. Um, even, I don't know um, how they're operating the accessible entrances, but even people without visible disabilities, people with chronic pain and chronic illnesses like that, I wonder if there's any severe toll that's being taken on them from having to do this extra walking. And I'm just, I'm not sure the university has like taken a lot of these factors into consideration when they designed this. Right, and then the one thing I've also noticed is I wonder how they decided which entrances to make the approved Mm -hmm. entrances because it seems to me that like, I know the one in the journalism building, for instance, is on the side with stairs, not the side that is like facing the parking lot. Um, or the one at Andrews is the one that's like on the back side of yeah. Andrews. It's someone right by the writing center opening, right. which is weird. And then the between Andrews and Burnett, usually in past years, I have simply exited Andrews, walked 15 feet, and entered Burnett. But now I have to go all the way around to the other side of Burnett right. to get in. I just wonder if there was a thought process. I would really like to know what it was because it doesn't seem to line up with my hypothetical thought process for mm-hmm. where I would put It's the- not entirely clear which doors are supposed to be the designated exits, especially oh, there in... there designated exits? Yeah, there are, I, right? I just kind of leave. <laughs> well, that is what most people do, but <laughs> on the point of the crowding people, you can end up with a situation where you have a crowd of people in that sort of like airlock sort of situation, mm-hmm. and there's a bunch of people who want to leave, yeah. but then can't. I definitely don't or have go to go out, out a different. I don't exit through the entrances. Right. Know that'll right. Happen, right. But I just go out any other door. Mm-hmm. What about those kids who have been exposed to COVID potentially? Do we think they should be going to class? Does the university incentivize them to do all that? Brian Beach has more. Well, I think the issue is especially for students who may have been exposed or maybe feeling just the slightest bit under the weather. Then they have to realize, okay, if I get a test. And especially if someone's vaccinated and they may test positive, but it's not going to be a, a major illness for them, they're still going to have to make that decision. And if they end up being positive, now they are going to miss substantial amount of class time. They're going to lose access. If they live in the dorms, they're going to have to go to quarantine housing. It's going to be a major challenge for them to have to overcome. And so what that does, in my view, is this de-incentivizes testing. And this makes people more likely to say, well, I may feel a little sick. Maybe I was exposed, but knowing what this quarantine process is going to look like, I don't want to get tested. And I mean, there have even been situations, and I know of people that have have been that same way, and it's challenging because you want to know, and if you are COVID positive, maybe it's nicer to be like, all right, the next couple of days, maybe I'll just self-isolate, but... I think you're really making a huge deal when you make it such a big deal about a COVID positive test, but you're also not requiring it for everybody. The there's really no reason in my view to want to get tested. If you can just simply say, Hey, I'll quarantine myself. So if we're going to really want numbers though, on who has COVID on campus, you can't have a situation where people feel like they're afraid to get tested. So the way I would view that is these quarantine requirements, especially for a, student population that is at least over 50% vaccinated is to just trust that you're going to be responsible. And I know that that also means people are not going to be responsible, 
But at the same time, even with our current system where people are missing class that may be testing positive, there's no way to tell what they're doing outside of that situation. Sure, they're barred from class, but they're still able to do other things with people. And so this idea of we're going to make sure you can't go to just this one thing that's very beneficial, that's gonna scare people away from getting tested. That's for that reason, I'm against the quarantine requirements right now. Yes, back in 2020, the early days, I think that was important. But at this point, when you recognize that you're gonna be living with this disease, I think get rid of that, encourage everyone to test, encourage everyone to be responsible about that. And I think you're gonna have fewer COVID positives showing up to class because if they know they're COVID positive, then you can use that and, and maybe tell a teacher that you're gonna be gone as opposed to having this wonder, I don't know if I have COVID, but I don't wanna get kicked out of the dorms. Right, I agree because I know last year there were, um, not, not in the union there wasn't anyone, mm -hmm. but in the library there was always like a person to check you in. And I haven't seen someone at the library so far this year. I don't know if either of you have, but to me that's kind of interesting that it seems to be literally hampering down on the academic buildings and on the academic things. I, I've done a trip in Piper Hall for isolation Piper housing. Piper Hall is not, I, it would give it two and a half stars and those only came from the free food. Yeah, it was so rough and yeah. I do not wish that fate on anyone. And I know deep down as the terrible person that I am, if I was like, oh, I don't know, maybe feeling a little sick, but like I say I lived on campus and I know I would get sent back into Piper where there is no one really to talk to and you just have snacks and like America's Next Top Model to keep you company. That is such a hard thing to do, especially knowing in a perfect world, we are all like COVID conscious community members, but we are more than community members. Like we have other identities that honestly probably mean a lot more to us. And so that's in my opinion, where like all of that is coming into conflict is just the idea of we're people in the eyes of the Lincoln community, but we're also people in like our own eyes, and very dynamic people with a lot of different likes and interests and desires, and none of those are staying inside for a week. Emma, you've had an experience with this recently about like an exposure, and part of the trouble with that was you did end up quarantining, but there was some trouble with your classes. Right. So I, uh, during my first week of classes, ended up in quarantine, and I was pretty astounded by the lack of contingency plans that I faced because I was there. I was, I, I'm vaccinated, so I did not experience any symptoms whatsoever, but I was not able to do a lot of my work because different than last year, where even if you had an in-person class, there were options, there were Zooms going on, maybe there were two different sections and you could meet a different part of the week. Only one of my classes really had a good option for me to get out of the class what I'd wanted to. The other four classes that I was in, the only option was the typical, go get your classmates notes. And that is something that college students have been doing for a very long time when college students are sick. But the difference is when I have the flu, I don't want to sit in class. My brain cannot function. So it's good for me to go get notes from my classmates, do whatever. I was in quarantine, but I was fine. I was ready to go. I didn't want to have to play catch up if I didn't need to play catch up. And so I know that despite the, the large vaccination rates, there are students that are getting quarantined. I have an older sister who is a grad student and she's got a couple of sections of classes that she's teaching. And she has talked about how it's kind of just been one person after another, someone ends up in quarantine. And that's tough, not only on students, but from the teacher's side as well. 
So I, I'm just kind of baffled by what the university has told instructors and what they're supposed to do, if they know what they're supposed to do, if they told them to wait, if they told them to implement, kind of just seems like a just do your own thing. And that's not really good for anybody, mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. that's really the vibe I'm getting from it. Well, even with the mask mandate at the beginning, before all the Wednesday and the first week of classes, before there was a countywide mask mandate, it was basically just professors couldn't mandate it, they could ask for it. It could be mandated if someone wrote in and said there was a reason why they needed people to be masked. One of my classes has started streaming the class on Zoom. Another one of my classes, my professor got COVID. So that's for this whole week, we've had to go to uh, online classes. And that's not, it's not great. It feels, feels kind of bad. Online classes are not great, but I will say I had one class, I had my lab get canceled for a random reason and they recorded the, the morning session of the lab so i was able to watch that and le learn what i needed to from that but i have to say out of all the options asynchronous learning just listening to recordings is probably the worst possible oh, yeah. way to go because even if you're on zoom it's not great but you're able to ask questions and you're able to be more engaged with it but i literally the moment i saw that we weren't going to have lab and it was going to be asynchronous i texted someone in my class i was like hey, will you do this with me? Because if I don't do this with someone else, I don't think I'm going to be able to do it. Well, and I think asynchronous learning kind of almost lays bare a lot of what the college curriculum is and what you're paying so much money for. And I, I don't want to go too far off topic, but I think COVID really has exposed a lot of what college is at its bare minimum. I mean, it, it's one thing to go and listen to highly educated professors teach with passion about certain topics. And that's something that you can't do but with the internet you see these asynchronous assignments and it's like read these three articles and write a discussion board post this is something that anyone that has a passion for that particular topic would probably already be doing they just wouldn't have to go through all the i agree with that great point and so when you take that away it it almost feels like man what is what is that tuition really going toward now we have a great campus here we have lots of resources and the connections and so i think college still is worth it for a lot of people. It's just concerning to me when you're looking at these institutions that are charging so much money and then a majority of the classes end up just paired so far down from what I think a normal in-person learning environment would be. You're right. It really does lay bare that a lot of higher education is just a money-making operation, which it shouldn't be. It should be about, you know, teaching people. I was thinking about of all my classes, the ones that have mandated engagement and attendance policies are often the ones that you don't necessarily need to go to to learn things. It's more about having an experience, a discussion with other classmates. And the ones that aren't required, you don't have to go to everything, those are recorded and there's lectures that you can get. I really enjoy my discussion-based classes and I, I enjoyed them a lot more in person than I do on Zoom, but I think it would still be better than to just take away the discussion part of the class. Right, and I think kind of tying it all back into the whole contingency plan thing is I also have a lot, a lot, a lot of discussion-based classes. And the one professor who did give me a great contingency plan- Was it Dr. Azima? It was. Of course it was. Um, it was amazing. So what she does is just for every class, all the class gets on Zoom and you're kind of sitting in like a circle. And then what happens is Dr. Azima has her laptop open and if you want to say something you can say something over zoom if your classmates want to say something that are like actually there in the room they just unmute their laptop 
so you can hear them and then they speak and it was really really good and I was still able to kind of hear and get in on discussion and I know that's something that the rest of my classmates they might end up in quarantine but it's something that they're going to use throughout the semester and I thought that was way better than just like yeah here's some notes because None of us actually take good notes. We all think we take good notes. There are like six people at this university that actually take good notes, and well, I know also in discussion-based classes, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not taking notes. Right. Right. Because I'm not being tested on it. It's interesting, and I'm engaging with it, but I'm not actively retaining it for a test later on. Right. Well, and really, verbal discussion is so different from online discussion mm-hmm. board posts. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same reason why this podcast is so different from <laughs> the actual articles that we write. Yeah. And uh, they're two very different skills. And when you just take it to reduce it down to online discussion posts, it just is a whole other skill that I'm worried a lot of these new graduates will, will lack. Yeah, discussion posts on Canvas, so bad. Yes. Like, I feel like you don't get anything out of them people don't really discuss all that much they just sort of right right really engaging with what the other person's saying because when you're talking in class you can have all these interesting tangential ideas you can bounce off of one Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. part of discussion to me is the first 10 minutes you talk about the thing and then the next 30 minutes is you guys really actually integrating each other's ideas Mm -hmm. and so when you're just doing a discussion post you put one thought out into the world and then you go to two to three other thoughts and you say like this was very interesting that's not sparking new ideas well and all the thoughts are based on the same thing when you have your instructor asks a question in class people pick up on different parts of it and then as people talk people will pick up on Mm -hmm. their different parts Mm -hmm. so by the time you get to the third response it's changing and it's morphing but when you have a discussion post it's like answer question one two and three and everyone answers one two and three and they all say it the same thing mm-hmm. and you can't see what the other discussions yeah. are until you post and, and i get that the reason is so no one just copies and mm-hmm. you use that and they actually read the source material but that again defeats the whole purpose of the discussion if you're going to yes. do that then you might as well have everyone turn in separate papers mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there is a way to prevent all of this Well, well, that is one way, but that's not a permanent solution. Permanent solution is that everybody needs to get vaccinated. Everybody who can get vaccinated absolutely should. I think that we are fast approaching a point now that the Pfizer vaccine has been approved and the others will probably be approved before the year's over. I think we're fast approaching a point where if you are not vaccinated, you are yourself doing measurable harm to other people. And I think there should be some sort of price to that. Maybe it's a social price. Maybe you just don't get to go to restaurants and stuff until you're vaccinated. I, for one, don't think that unvaccinated people should be able to register for classes next semester unless they're vaccinated. Oh, well, I mean, I don't believe that. Voting is a right. Going to higher education isn't exactly a right. Mail-in voting should be a right. Should you be able to go to the polls if you're not vaccinated? Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> off, off topic, but yeah, so in, in some of the studies in this New York Times article from today, the studies are showing that unvaccinated people, it was like a meta-analysis of three studies, it showed that unvaccinated people are 4.5 times more likely to become infected, uh, 10 times more likely to be hospitalized, and 11 times more likely to die from the coronavirus. And this included the regular variant and the Delta and all that. Yeah, and m- most of the cases, if if I remember incorrectly, most of the cases in the country right now are Delta variant cases, right? Yes. The vaccination rates 
for UNL specifically. I think it's 69% of students are vaccinated. It's about 79% 79. of staff. So, I mean, for staff, those numbers are good, but of course they can be better. Uh, Same with students. That's like a good number, but it really should be higher because herd immunity may not even be necessarily 100% possible with COVID. It's it's more like herd mitigation. We do have to give a shout out to the athletic department, though, because 91% of student athletes are vaccinated. Yeah, yeah. That's really good. Yes. And I think, uh, really, the, the Big Ten's ruling that if you have to forfeit any competition due to COVID on a number of players in your roster in the past, or at least last year, that was a no contest. This year, that is counted as a loss. I really do think that's been the biggest incentive within the athletic department um, for getting vaccinated. That is really interesting. Yeah. I did not know that. That feels like a really granular and effective policy to get people vaccinated, right? It's something that most people would not even consider, but that really does feel like an effective motivator. It'd be crazy if mm-hmm. the university did something similar to that with students in their classes. There for their go. grades? For their grades. At this point, we're already in school. There really isn't much you can do right. to enforce a vaccine mandate this semester, but for next semester, for sure, you can. Well, and what I just keep coming back to is, again, there has been a lot of talk of it's my right as an American to not do this or you can't tell me what to do. I'm an American. But UNL is a business. You can be not admitted from you. Mm-hmm. Like you can you can. Yeah. And uh, that is something that they are well within their rights to do. They, we have to get other vaccinations. I will say priority registration for the spring semester opens October 25th. So that's a pretty tight turnaround if you do want the university to mandate that. Get on it, Ronnie. (laughs) (laughs) On the note of it being like, it's my right as an American to not be vaccinated. No, as Americans, it is our collective right to not live in a country ravaged by coronavirus. And our collective rights as people who don't want this to be happening outweighs your individual right to not get a vaccine because, I don't know, you believe there's a microchip or something. Big government. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> the scary socialist is coming for your, I don't know, vaccines. For your white blood cells. <laughs> for your white blood cells. <laughs> now, now, to play a little devil's advocate, a lot of people would hear your argument and they would say, well, you're vaccinated. All of us in this room are vaccinated. Why do we care what other people do vaccination status-wise, especially when so few people worldwide even have access to the vaccine? Well, I mean, first of all, I don't like people dying. People dying, generally bad, not a good thing. You can take that from the moral standpoint of allowing people to die is a not good thing. Or if they're dying because of their own choices. We should do everything in our power to make sure that they don't die. And that means advocating for a vaccine mandate, not forcibly inoculating people. I'm not advocating for that. Yet. Um, (laughs) Yes. We're not there yet. Give it like five years. <laughs> Please don't. Um, I, I just wanted to say, I asked you that question just because, yeah, as someone who is vaccinated and would inc- I would encourage others to get vaccinated really for their own sake and for the sake of society in general. But I don't view unvaccinated people as a threat necessarily. I know a lot of the frustration has been that unvaccinated people are causing the new variants. And while that is probably true. 
my concern is that you have a global population of which far less than half are vaccinated, especially in third world countries that haven't had access to the vaccine. For this reason, the WHO chief has recommended against booster shots because so many people have not even received their first and right, second right. doses. So I, th I think that that's my frustration I mean, then with this hyper fixation on a small percentage of unvaccinated Americans at this stage in the pandemic being small. to blame. Yeah, it's a sizable percentage. It's not a majority. And right? there's definitely more people in other countries. Right. For one, America should be doing literally everything in its power to make sure that the entire world is vaccinated. It is within our power. We can do it. So we should because, you know, we all live on this planet. And as long as there is a coronavirus pandemic somewhere, it's going to eventually get here. So it is in our interest to ensure that as many people Meddle in the affairs of other countries i mean i, I wouldn't <laughs> consider giving them life-saving vaccines to be meddling in their affairs but i mean it's a slippery slope it, man really, I, there you I go mean, <laughs> super slippery yeah yes big yes. government and a oh, colonist yeah. my goodness oh yeah no vaccine colonialism yes okay. <laughs> no. i think that we should be yeah we should be trying to vaccinate as many people as possible that includes here and abroad I think that the reason that we as Americans focus on at here is because that's something that we have some degree of control over because we, we live in a democratic society and we can pressure our government to adopt policies. So that's a thing that we as citizens of this country have some influence over. I think that's a fair point. I think to sort of summarize our feelings from this and bring it back to UNL, would you support an initiative to block class registration unless people get at least the first dose of the vaccine between now and October 25th? Yeah, yeah. I, I would say at least the first dose if it's if it's a Pfizer or a Moderna. Maybe have some further step to prove that you've gotten the second dose. I don't know, like to like buy your books or whatever <laughs> or something like that. I, I don't we know don't what... We need more obstacles to get our <laughs> That's <in>. so true. <laughs> I've had such a day. That's... Okay, fair. Fair. I'm just throwing out ideas here. I hear that. I'm, I'm curious about what the other two, if you guys think that that's a viable idea, if you support it or not. You know, I think I would support it with a longer timeline. Okay. I would say right. maybe instead of the semester, maybe the next school year. That, of course, depends on how COVID changes and shifts and does things. Because each time we try to predict when this <laughs> thing is going to be gone or when it's going to slow down or when we're going to start peaking it's wrong we're, we're wrong it's gonna be like june 2022 we're gonna have the zelta data beta variants right everyone's it's just dying. like every time we're wrong that was my so. argument from two weeks ago yeah so yes. so maybe next school year it won't be a thing but my guess is it's probably going to be a thing even in some kind of diminished capacity and i think by that time we will be in this thing for more than two years it will be long enough for i i think hopefully more people to come around to it and at that point i would endorse blocking students that are unvaccinated from mm -hmm. registering from classes yeah in -person classes, yes for in-person classes the omega variant's going to be off the chain <laughs> yeah and I, I would say at this point i simply don't care and that's a weird take for an opinion columnist here but i say that because i think at this stage a vaccine mandate is going to put a lot of people into an uproar naturally and Technically, in the it's not a mandate it's the same thing as the big 10 you can still go to unl you just have to take online classes yeah but essentially that's 
very similar to a mandate. I think very few people are really going to, to take that as, oh, they're giving us more choices. <laughs> now, it's in the past, I would have argued against it because of the Pfizer only having the emergency authorization. Now that that has been cleared, I think I really am, I'm quite okay with if the university made that decision, I would be fine with it. I'm also probably not going to be the most vocal advocate for it, but it's similar to the other vaccines that are required for people to go to school. And, and so, yeah, I probably wouldn't be screaming if I found out that there wasn't a mumps vaccine requirement here. But it's this similar idea where, okay, if there's a vaccine requirement, that's okay in my book, but at the same time, that's maybe the least of my concerns on campus right now. All right, that's fair enough. The moderate, Brian Beach, the moderate. The DN podcast right-winger, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Comparatively. Any final closing thoughts that y'all have about the way campus is handling the coronavirus? I came to the realization the other day that I'm going to look back 50 years later and be like, wow, I really did not get a normal college experience. And that was the thing that dawned on me the other day. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. Okay, cool. I'm not getting normal college. That's fine. There's nothing I can do about it. That's okay. So I've come to this weird point of acceptance with it all, where things are weird, new things are happening, no one actually like knows what they're doing. We're just trying different things and putting together pieces of the puzzle, and I just am going to go home and do my discussion boards and live my life. Zen Emma. <laughs> just To your kids, you'll be like, back in my day... We had Zoom contingency plans, or we didn't, depending on who your professor was. I think we can agree that the real hero of this episode is Dr. Azima. Yes, Dr. Azima, we dedicate this episode to you and the UNL Writing Center. All right, well, thank you again for listening to us talk about COVID. We promise that this may be the last time for a while that we do that. Next week, you may be able to look forward to us finding out which of America's six political parties that we belong to. That's that's right. You heard me say six. More on that next time. Oh, boy, right. oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Stay safe, everyone. Mazel tov. <laughs> <laughs>